This morning we began a series in the Gospel of John, and it will take us quite a bit of time to get through the book of John. I'm going to estimate somewhere around 60 messages or so, depending upon things that change in the formation of messages and as you look at the natural breaks within Scripture, but we'll be here for a while. Sometimes people ask the question, why are there four different Gospels? Why not just a single Gospel? Why not take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and merge them together for simplicity's sake? Well, the reality is, is that each of these Gospels present to us something different about the life of Christ and about the purposes in the ministry that they wanted to enlighten the readers to. So each of these Gospels has its own distinctives based on the personality and the goals that the writers had based on the way the Spirit inspired them. So in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is presented as the promised King, as the Messiah of Israel. Matthew, Matthew's to Israel, Matthew's Gospel to, to the world is, Behold, this is your King. That's why there's so much genealogy in the book of Matthew. Mark presents him as a servant prophet, No servant ever had a genealogy that really mattered. That's why Mark doesn't identify any of Jesus' ancestry. And so Mark's message to the world is, Behold your servant. Luke presented Christ as the perfect man walking among the people of the world. And so Luke's message through his gospel is, Behold the man. And in the book of John, we see a completely different dimension When we begin the Gospel of John, the first thing that happens is that the eternal Son of God descends from heaven to this earth to become a man. God and man and one blessed and glorious person, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so John's message is, behold your God. Four distinct presentations, all completely accurate and filled with truth, that shed a bit of a different light on the ministry and on, and on the life of Christ. So John's Gospel was written to establish the truth of the divinity and the deity of Christ, that He is the absolute, total God living in a human body. He's not half God and half man. He is fully God and fully man. That's a very difficult reality for many to grasp. And so in the early days of Christianity, there were a number of heresies that popped up within the teaching of the church that denied either the full deity of Christ or the full humanity of Christ. And it just can't be that way. So in the genealogy that John presents to us doesn't name a single human being. It goes right back to the time before time, the time of eternity, and says that he was there when it all began. That's Jesus' genealogy, He didn't start, He always was. And so John presents to us God. Now John will tell us the purpose of His Gospel. John 20, 31, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now the first 18 verses in the book of John are often called a prologue. It is a summary of the entire book. And in this prologue, in these 18 verses, Jesus will be presented six different ways. We'll look at two of these today. He'll be presented as the eternal Christ, the incarnate Christ, 
the forerunner of Christ, the unrecognized Christ, the omnipotent Christ, and then lastly, the glory of Christ. What's also interesting about the Gospel of John is that chapters 1 through 12 deal with Jesus' three-year ministry, and chapters 13 through the end deal with his death, his burial, and his ascension. The prologue also presents several key terms that are themes throughout the book. Light and darkness and life and witness and glory and the world. In our verses today, we'll look at another very important word, and that is the word logos. And then later on, we'll look at another word, truth. And both of these take on a Christological meaning in this prologue that they don't necessarily take on in the remaining chapters of the book. That's the introduction that we have for the Gospel of John. So we're going to turn our attention to verses 1 through 5 in chapter 1. So here's what the Word of God says to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. So in the first presentation of Christ that we're going to look at is very simply this, the eternal Christ. This is a difficult thing for many to understand when you talk about eternity, because for you and I, time has a beginning. We can't think of a time when time didn't exist, right? But in eternity, there is no sense of time. God is not constrained by time and space. And God is eternal. He always was. He didn't have a beginning. And this is what John wants to begin us with in the presentation of Christ is the eternal Christ. So we're going to notice the pre-existent Christ in these verses. So letter A, as we look at the pre-existent Christ... He is from eternity. We're going to reread verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So you'll notice in your translation that you're going to see Word capitalized. And because it's capitalized because it represents the personal pronoun for God. God, in this sense, is the Word. Sounds very similar to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the world. From the very beginning of beginnings, which never began... Wait a minute, what? From the beginning of beginnings, which never really began, Christ was there. He always was. He never came into existence because He has always been. Remember, God is not constrained by time. Time did not exist until the world was created. We say, that's difficult for me to understand. Well, join the club. It's difficult for most people to understand. We don't have to worry ourselves trying to figure out the unfigurable, if you will. Jesus is eternal. In the timelessness of eternity past, the Word, capital Word, was there. From all eternity, the Word existed. The Word was in the beginning of beginnings. The Word was not created. It didn't have a beginning. It always was. And when God set out to create this world, the Word was already there. And the Word, of course, is Jesus Christ. So why use the word logos? Why use that to be a Christological reference to the promised Messiah, to God Himself? Well, for the Jew, the Logos represented the Word of God. 
The word of the Lord was the expression of divine power and wisdom. So you'll notice when you read your Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, right? Well, when thus saith is translated, it is the word of God. God spoke and the world came into being, speaking of His divine power and His wisdom. God spoke the covenant to Abraham. God spoke the Ten Commandments into being. God continued to speak to the prophets, and the prophets spoke on behalf of the Lord. And so for the Jew, the Logos was the Word of God. We read this in the book of Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 1-3. through God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Through Him also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purifications of sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So all throughout the Bible we see this expression of the word representing the spoken word of God representing his divine power and his wisdom. So the Jews would very clearly understand the word logos when John is talking about here is your God. For the Greek, the logos was the soul of the universe. The impersonal abstract principle of reason and order in the universe is what the word logos means to the Greek mind. It was in some sense a creative force, but very impersonal. And it was also the source of wisdom. Now, the average Greek may not have completely understood all that the philosophers had put into the word logos, but they would have understood the important principles are being reflected and represented by that very word, Logos. So to the Greeks, John presented Jesus as the personification and the the embodiment of the Logos. It is that impersonal, abstract principle. And John is saying, here it is in the person of Jesus Christ. But unlike the Greek concept, Jesus was not an impersonal source, an impersonal force, a principle, or some kind of emanation of something or someone. In Him, the true Logos, who was God, became a man. And that was a concept that was totally foreign to the Greek mind. So not only is He from eternity, but letter B, He is in fellowship with God. You see the little phrase there? He was with God. With God means face to face. When you stand face-to-face with someone, it's very different from standing beside someone or even behind someone. When you are standing face-to-face, it represents a deep and intimate communion between the two individuals. Two personal beings with a deep, intimate fellowship. The Word isn't an attribute of God. It's not a character of God, but it is a person. It is the same essence as the Father. It is the second person of the Trinity. The Trinity is another one of these very difficult concepts for many people to understand. We say there is one God. Yes, there's one God. But this God is represented to us through His Word as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. They are all of the same essence. They're not 
three gods. There's not a subservient relationship within the Godhead. There is very simply a single God who has chosen to reflect Himself, represent Himself in the person of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal, all-powerful, all-everything, just like the big God would be, so is the Lagos. The Word Himself is becoming flesh. Let us see, not only is He in fellowship with God, He is God. This is the pinnacle of John's description. It is the purpose of his presentation. It is to make it unmistakably clear that He is God. Not only there from eternity, not only there face to face with God, but He is the Word, and the Word is God. The first verse of the Gospel makes this factual statement incredibly clear. Jesus is God. If any of the rest of the Gospel of John is going to make sense to us, you have to accept this truth. To not accept this thesis, if you will, makes everything else we would read absolutely meaningless if we don't understand, if we don't accept the truth that Jesus is God. Many will doubt this truth, and many have denied this truth, but the Bible makes it abundantly clear, Jesus is God. You know, it's interesting when you talk to a Mormon, or you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, who claim to have some connection to Christianity, You begin to ask them what they think about Christ and they have a very, very different perspective than what you and I have. They can't say Jesus is God. It's a violation of what they believe as a Mormon or as a Jehovah's Witness. You can talk to a Muslim about who is this Jesus and they'll tell you, well, He ain't God. Allah is God. There is only one God. you got three gods. You guys are all confused. I've had that conversation. Scientology, we've heard an awful lot about about that in our culture in in recent years. What do Scientologists think about Jesus? You see, it's, it's all about Him. It's all about the person of Jesus Christ and who John presents Him to be to us, and that is that He is God. This truth is central to the Christian faith. It is absolutely non-negotiable to the Christian faith. And to deny the reality that He is God makes one a counterfeit Believer in Jesus Christ. What a group or what a person says about who the Word is will determine their validity based upon the standard of God's Word and not what the culture or not a mom and dad or not what an individual person thinks. Here's what John would write in his book, Second John. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. The person who denies the deity of Jesus Christ, who will not and cannot say that Jesus is God, he is the Antichrist. Don't look for some scary demon or the boogeyman or some other fictitious person. The person who denies the reality of Jesus Christ as being God, that 
is the Antichrist. That is what the Gospel of John and the Apostle John warns us in his writings. So the question is this. If Jesus isn't God, then who is He? If He isn't the Son of God, if He isn't who He claimed to be, if He isn't who the Bible writers present Him to be, then exactly who is He? Is He a prophet? Then that means He's not the self-proclaimed Son of God. Is He just a moral teacher? Then He lied about who He said He was. Is He just a good man? who lived an exemplary life that all should seek to follow without giving themselves to this deity, well, then He is not the sacrifice that paid the penalty of our sin if He is anything other than God Himself. What we do with the truth about Jesus being God will determine our eternity. To say that He is pre-existent means He has always been and God only has always been. So the first thing that we see here is that He is pre-existent. Not only is He pre-existent, but notice the powerful Christ. Verse 3, All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. You know, sometimes when you communicate, you have to repeat yourself. You have to say the same thing a couple of times in order for somebody to actually get it. And this is what John is doing. All things came into being through Him and apart from Him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. What does that mean? Well, it simply means this. Is that He created it all. Well, I thought God created the heavens and the earth. I thought God spoke and the light came. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Well... Who is God? Well, Jesus is God. Jesus created it all. The Creator is not created. Rather, He is the source of creation. Therefore, the Creator is divine, and this affirms the deity of Christ. Anybody that would say, well, Jesus was created, is denying the fact that He is the Creator and that He is God. Anybody would say, well, Jesus wasn't God until He died or He ascended or until anything else would deny the reality that Jesus came to this earth as fully God and fully man. He created everything. If you go back and look at what John says here, all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Which means that Jesus is given the responsibility in the Gospel of John as being the creator of everything. Everything in this natural world. Every species of tree. Every species of insect and animal. The human race. The oceans and the rivers. The mountains and the skies. Everything that we look at in this natural world, He created. The laws of physics that govern our universe, were created by Him. It was all created for His glory. Letter B, not only has He created it all, but it all belongs to Him. You and I, we belong to Him. Now there is a sense that all of 
created mankind belongs to him in the sense that he's responsible for all of creation. But there's a different sense here when we belong to him as a child of the Most High God. John would write, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Right? So, it all belongs to him. All that has been created belongs to him. And that includes you and I. Our life is not our own to live. It is to be lived for him. Now, the lost world doesn't really understand that, do they? They have no concept of living a life to anything or anyone else other than themselves. Now, certainly there are some altruistic individuals out there who live for a cause or who live to take care of a person. But the bottom line is, our lives are not for us to live for ourselves, but they are to be lived to Him. If God is the giver of life, and if God is the giver of spiritual life, then most certainly as a Christian, we are to live our lives for Him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. What a challenging verse. To have that reality in the forefront of our minds changes so much of what we make a priority in the lives that we live. We are to live our lives for Him because He created us. And as Christians, we know He gave up His life so that we could be saved. So we looked at the pre-existing Christ. That's the first presentation that we have here. The second presentation is the incarnate Christ. The word incarnate or incarnation is a bit of a theological word, and it's the idea that God left heaven and came down to earth and took the form of a man. What an unimaginable thought to the Greek mind. Not at all what the Jews were expecting. But the incarnate Christ is Him leaving heaven and coming to earth in the form of a man. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of of men. First thing we're going to notice here is the self-existent Christ. Look at the first part of verse 4 again. In him was life. He is life. That's what it means to be self-existent. He is life himself. Now, life here refers to spiritual life. Not necessarily physical life. There's a Greek word bios, which represents physical life. And then there's also the Greek word zoe, which represents spiritual life. And that's the word that is used here. In him was zoe. And that zoe was the light of men. Christ has life in himself. It's a theological term for that. Aseity, which means he is self-existent. Jesus is self-existent because He has life in Himself. Just as the Word is the source of creation, the Word is also the source of life. In Ephesians, if you remember back when we were way back in chapter 2, 
Paul said that the unsaved man, the lost man, was dead in his sin. There's a spiritual death that means that you cannot respond to God. It's like a dead corpse. You can yell at that dead corpse all you want. It's not going to respond to any kind of physical stimulation. Well, a spiritually dead person will not respond to any spiritual stimulation until Jesus comes in and wakes him up and enables him to respond to that life. Life is a huge word throughout the Gospel of John. That word shows up 54 times in this Gospel. Christ is the source of life that people are looking for. And because that's the life that people really need, Jesus came. Look at some of these examples that we find throughout the Gospel of John. John 6.33 For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. John 10.10 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Not prosperity. Not health. But to have true spiritual life. John 14.6 Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And then to reread John 20.31 But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Life for people who are dead in sin. Jesus is life. Letter B. He is light. This life is the light of of man. This life that Jesus gives is the light of mankind. While there is a distinction between life and light in this context, they are essentially the same. The life he gives, in contrast to death and sin, is light. Light is life illustrated. It probably makes more sense that way. Light is the result of the life that Jesus gives. Not necessarily two different things, but one thing illustrating the other. Apart from the life that Jesus brings, we are dead in our sin and in our trespasses, which represents darkness. So Jesus' life brings to us light. It's an illustration, therefore, of the life that Jesus brings when we receive Him. In the same way that the Word is God... The life is the light. John 8.12 I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Letter C. This light shines in the darkness. First part of verse 5 reads, The light shines in the darkness. So His light, His light, which is the light that He brings, His life shines in the darkness of this sinful of this sin-sick world. And though even though light is illustrating life, hang on, this is going to get complicated if you're not paying attention, even though light is illustrating life, light has its own significance throughout Scripture. And so while he's not, really ne- well, he's not necessarily trying to illustrate those things, it's still true as we look at some of these distinctives that come from what light represents within Scripture. So, intellectually, light refers to truth. We see this in Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Darkness 
is represented by falsehood. We see this in Romans 2.19. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. So Jesus brings life, and that life brings us light, and that light dispels the darkness that is represented in our understanding of who he is intellectually. It's also represented morally. Light refers to holiness. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. So the obvious answer is they don't have any at all. So light refers to holiness. Darkness refers to sin. We see this in Proverbs 4.19. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. We also see darkness represented in the kingdom of Satan. It is called the domain of darkness. Colossians, Colossians 1.13 For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And so in John we see that Jesus is the source of life. He is the light of the world. And that life brings to us a newness spiritually because we have been awakened from our slumber, we have been saved from our sin, and the light that he brings is not only our light, but it is the light of the world. Letter D, the last thing we see here, is the darkness cannot overcome the light. The last part of verse 5, the darkness did not comprehend it. Now it's unfortunate that many translators translate this word understand or comprehend. It literally says, and the darkness did not comprehend it, but that word comprehend or understand literally means overpower. They, the darkness does not overcome it. Why do they translate it that way? I can't answer that question. There's alternate translations for many words, but what makes sense in the context of this is the reality that the darkness cannot overcome the light that is rep- represented in the word. So let me explain how this, how we can understand this. This verse isn't saying that the darkness failed to understand who Jesus is. We see this all throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 8.29, when Jesus was cleansing a demon-filled man, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? The demons obviously knew who Jesus was. We see this also in Mark 1.34. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Remember reading in the book of James that even the demons believe in their minds that he is who he says he is, and they shudder. So there's not a failure to understand who he is. The forces of evil understand who he is with great clarity. And if you think about it, the forces of evil have tried to destroy this source of light and life because they understand who he is. Satan prompted Herod to kill all of the Jewish babies who were two and under in Jerusalem. Remember that horrific decree that went out? Can you think of how many babies died because Herod wanted to kill the king of the Jews? who would be a potential threat to his kingdom? Who do you think was behind that? At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he had fasted for 40 days and went through the wilderness seeking God, Satan appeared to him and tempted him to thwart God's plans and his purposes because he understood who he was. Later on, after the temptation, 
when Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem and explaining to his disciples that he was going to die. Do you remember what Peter did? Lord, that must never happen. You cannot die. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Satan prompted this thwarting of God's plan through the life of Peter, one of the most devoted followers that Jesus had. Who was really at work behind the Jewish crowds who were screaming at Pilate and at Herod to crucify Christ? Who do you think was behind that? So the forces of evil and wickedness know very well who Jesus is. But what this verse is saying is that the darkness, despite what they know, do not have the ability to overpower the light, the source of life. Why? Because He's God. He's eternal. He's self-existent. He is the source. One of the ways that we can know that we know that the forces of evil and darkness can't overpower the source of light and life is the reality that there is an empty tomb. The ultimate, the seemingly ultimate victory for Satan was actually what crippled him. Jesus' resurrection and His eventual ascension. You know, if we were to darken these windows and turn off all these lights, I could turn on the smallest of flashlights and you know, it would dispel the darkness. Isn't that right? Darkness cannot overpower the light. It can't be done. The forces of evil and the lost world will not be separated from God for all of eternity because they didn't comprehend it or because they didn't understand it, but they will be separated because they rejected Him. No one who rejects the deity of Christ can be saved. Let me say that again. No one who rejects the deity of Christ can be saved. We'll read this in, in the weeks ahead. John 8.24 Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Can it be any more clear than that? It is fitting that John opens his Gospel with such a strong emphasis on the deity of Christ with an incredibly powerful assertion of that truth. That's just one part of the prologue. But I think about this, if we don't believe that He is the Son of God, we don't have a hope in the world. There's not a mixture of God and man. There's not God some of the time and man some of the time. He was fully God and fully man. God from eternity past, self-existent, the Creator, the source of life that brings light to this world. Who is He to you? Would you pray with me? Father, how we thank You for the truth that we read in these verses. How we thank You for the great privilege of knowing that Jesus is God. And when we think about the fact that God in Jesus went to the cross and took our penalty and paid the price for our sin... Thoughts are just too great to bear.
Father, I pray that the cliche cross and God's love and Jesus as Savior and Lord would be stripped from our minds and that we would simply marvel that the pre-existent, self-existent, eternal Son of God gave Himself for me. Father, thank You that You are a great God worthy of our worship. Thank You for sending to us Your Son, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Would You help us? Would You deepen our desire to live in the light of that truth that You would find on our lips a constant praise, a constant thankfulness for what You've done for us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?